So this question has been on my mind for the past 24 hours. And then I kind of put it out into the ether. And it turns out that a creator named Emily, who goes under Stardust M, was thinking the same thing. And that is, if you had been invited to the Met Gala two-parter, which American Girl doll would you bring? And who would you come dressed as from the American Girl universe? And they don't need to be contemporaneous. Interesting. Because I was going to add a third question to this, which is like, what outfit would you put together kind of outside of American Girl that you think meets the theme of American whatever it was? Independence. Yeah. Okay. So I would, of course, bring Molly with me. No questions asked. That's my perennial answer. However, I would come dressed as Courtney. And I'm going to listen, Allison. I I need every listener to just hold this in their hearts right now. Hey, Courtney, I just found this out. It's been released on Spotify. If you want to hear a three minute edition of Hey, Courtney, possibly not a joke, the best song released in 2020, do that for yourself. So, what I would do is get a boombox, have Hey, Courtney on a loop, and I would have the jeans. I don't love acid wash jeans. So I would have to sit with that, but that's my answer. Allison, what are your answers? I'm coming dressed as Caroline because her clothing is now my absolute favorite of all the ones that we have covered. And I like what she does with the waistline. My backup is I'm coming as Miss Winston from Kirsten Learns a Lesson because she's also a style inspiration to me. Interesting. And then I'm bringing Kaya just because. Wow. Just to make like a statement. Yeah, I'm into that. Wow. I'm just thinking. <laughs> I mean, do you think it's bad if you show up with like jeans with a denim shirt and then a jean jacket, but they're all three different styles of denim, if you know what I'm saying? It's not bad, but it's not right. That I disagree. I feel like if you commit, like if I matched my jeans to my jacket and had a like a second, like a lighter denim as a button down shirt, and then I wear my Converse sneakers, preferably my custom Golden Girls Converse, that to me says independence. Is this for Courtney cosplay or for your this weekend? I mean, in a sense, like I'm wearing that all the time. Have I been doing Courtney cosplay like my entire life? I don't know anymore. I'm just saying. Yes. Wow. Okay. Um, Welcome, everyone, to American Girls. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. Unexpectedly have not morphed into Caroline. I didn't realize that she has your favorite clothes of the whole series so far. I am really enjoying looking at the illustrations that we've come across. Someone very generously gifted me Caroline paper dolls several years ago. Thank you, listener Laurel. Your daughter very kindly gave them over to you, who gave them to me. I'm just really liking the color selections. I'm liking the way that she dresses. And Caroline might be going to a prison, but she's going to be dressed like she's going to a gala. You know, it's kind of like maybe she doesn't love imperialism but she sure does love an empire waist oh yes yes she does she got me looking up some different stylings from the war of 1812 and we can talk about you know different moments in her childhood when it would have been considered patriotic and really important to only wear locally made or homespun clothing 
I kind of feel like in book one, we got a hint from Caroline that she doesn't really care where her clothing is from as long as it's the best. I think that's fair. She's like a quality more than quantity kind of person or I don't know. I mean, she has a very distinct sense of style and she commits to that no matter what her situation is. If she's on a prison break, you know, if she's out digging up potatoes, like whatever the situation, she's ready. She's like photo call ready, this young yeah. lady all at all hours. Yeah, we're here today to talk about Caroline's secret message, and I feel like there's probably a lot of messages we haven't even gotten that are encoded in her clothing, but we also wanted to talk a bit about some other things that have kind of been, like, striking our fancy. Yes, yeah, so what have you been watching these days, Allison? So I've been watching Nine Perfect Strangers, and also as part of, like, the Hulu renaissance that I'm part of, I love Only Strangers in the Building, and I am tolerating Bachelor in Paradise. I think this is one of the best seasons of Bachelor in Paradise <gasps> that we've ever had, because wow. it's it's so conflicted and chaotic, and basically people are breaking the fourth wall and coming on with people they're already dating, and then trying to, like, scam the show to be like, oh... Like, basically, I'm just going to, like, try to latch on to someone until the person I'm actually dating shows up. And then once if I can make it till then, then we can just be together and whatever, try to win the show. And it's such a weird move because, of course, all of them are doing this. Like, they're all there for the wrong reasons, either to be influencers or who knows what. But that, to me, has added an interesting wrinkle wrinkle even though i do find a lot of the hijinks annoying at this stage of the game i'm ready for it to be wrapped up i think in a world where i can watch steve martin pretend to have a podcast i just like that's where i need to put my attention i i love that i think that show is it's really funny i think it's like a slow build you have to kind of get into it it helped me that i watched a bunch of episodes in a row like two or three but Martin Short is so hilarious. Like, I'm really happy for him that I feel like he never quite got the due that maybe like he deserved because I think he's on par with Steve Martin. But obviously, Steve Martin has had, you know, like bigger acclaim in his career. It's not necessarily fair. I don't know why, but I think he's super funny. And also like Selena Gomez is also very good on the show. Yes. Easy to forget that she came out of Barney. Never forget as a dancer. So she's kind of like a generation and a half of like, there was the Mickey Mouse Club of our childhood and kind of that era. And then she was like a half generation in between coming out of Barney, being named for another famous Selena, but like now becoming a star in her own right. She's very good. And she also has a production role in the show. And I think it shows because there's like an edginess to the style of it. And I like that as opposed to so many other things. I was like trapped watching Friends at a restaurant recently and I'm like never going to forget it because it just kept coming on where I was seated. There were so many things about their life that was never explained. And I feel like now really smart shows don't just put people who don't seem to have money in wonderful apartments in New York. They bring us in on like the wink of it or they make it a plot point. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I also to love too that we live in a world where you can hop on TikTok and there's architectural historians who literally identify the building that show is based on and give you like all of the tea on the blueprints and the original footprints of the apartments, which have now been changed and why and what it's all based on. So there's a lot of like synergy going on. So I feel like I'm learning a lot, but 
you know, never forget Selena. Also, her Barney cast member, Demi Lovato. Never wow. forget Demi. See, I didn't know that. They are going through something, and I don't even want to speak on this at this time, but they've claimed they've been abducted by aliens. There's going to be a documentary about this. I will be investigating for everybody. Don't you worry. They also slipped into the DMs of the woman who played David's friend on Schitt's Creek. And this yes. woman is a decade older than Demi. And Demi was like, hey, girl, what's up? You could be like the Holland Taylor. You could be my Holland Taylor. <sighs> and this person came on Demi's podcast and told that story. And Demi was like, LOL, I did that. I mean, honestly, in this era, it's just like you have to be so attentive to what Demi you're being sucked into. There is like a wonderful moment in this Caroline book where the grandmother is literally stirring the pot, which I feel like was an unintentional, you know, moment of homage to the fact that Demi on BIP this season, her sort of like catchphrase or her kind of like opening gift style moment is her literally stirring a pot on the beach. I've had enough like, are of those that things Demi, connected? Yeah. Possibly, They're I believe connected. so. I've had enough of that, Demi. She can go home right now. I'm over it. I think that's fair. Yeah. I'm just. mm. You know who wants to go home and can't? Dad. Papa. (laughs) I mean, what's an American girl book without a missing parent? We can't have like, you know, the family is always at risk at war, you might say, in these books. And this is no different. Yeah, if you could see into like the work that went into us preparing for this episode, I was like, I need to know about handicrafts. I need to know all about her birth year. I need to know what it means that she's a Libra. I need to study like what's going on with the place where her dad is being kept. Um, And I was kind of pricing out her Spencer hat, which I can't really afford. So, you know, there's like a lot in the mix with Caroline's secret message. Can't wait to get into it. Um, I feel like I'm on their payroll. (laughs) I know you're like, I'm dropping the title. Or do you get paid by the number of times you say it? Yeah. Yeah. So Caroline's secret message is is a five out of five star experience for me. Wow. 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 Well, I mean, I hate to say this. I hate to unleash you on this book, but are you emotionally, (laughs) spiritually prepared for this? I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Let's launch into it. Hey, everyone. This is Mary here again to talk to you about HelloFresh. Fall is busy, but HelloFresh recipes save time you'd otherwise spend meal planning, shopping, and chopping, so you can get right back to what matters. The fall harvest is officially on with HelloFresh. Count on seasonal recipes like pumpkin cinnamon rolls and Friendsgiving ready sides, as well as fresh, high-quality ingredients that travel from the farm to your front door in less than a week. Man, pumpkin cinnamon rolls really sound like perhaps the thing that's going to take me out of a Casey Musgrave sad girl fall if that happens to be your situation. Fortunately for me, I'm at least okay this week in large part because I try to make sure to do things with people I love and that kind of take me out of myself. And one of those things is actually cooking. I'm not hugely into cooking, but I do like to spend time with Anna putting together dinners just like the ones offered by HelloFresh. They can be things that help save time, but also create that nice quality time. So go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirls14 and use code AmericanGirls14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirls14 and use code AmericanGirls14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. 
So it's important for folks who've been uh, with American Girl for a while or with us for a while to know that with the Kaya books, also, there was a difference in format, right? It didn't exactly follow the six-story arc that are from the earliest books. This is the same. So this is a combination birthday rescue mission lesson story. Caroline and Mama make a dangerous trip across Lake Ontario to a British fort where Papa is a prisoner. When Mama isn't allowed to see Papa, it's up to Caroline to pass a secret message to him right under the nose of a British guard. Caroline hopes desperately that Papa will be able to use the information to escape, but can she get the message to him? And if she does, will he understand it? When Caroline and Mama return home, all they can do is wait and hope. On Caroline's birthday, an unexpected gift lifts her heart. How much did you think the gift was going to be the dad? I really thought he would return, but yeah, I think like the Addy books sort of prepared us for that, that like the return of a parent could be presented as a gift and you could expect that kind of reunion. Also Molly's books, like so many books have brought dad back as a kind of present. Um, Louisa May Alcott did it first. I think like Louisa, I also erase her dad and any fictional dads that she creates. So I think it's okay that I forgot that. But, you know, there is a lot of that going on. I really thought that was going to happen here. Yeah. And to be honest with you too, like we have seen a move in this book in several other stories. Of course, once again, we're relying on someone who's under the age of 12 to make a map. (laughs) We have seen this twice before. We have seen this in the Josefina story. We have seen it in Felicity's save story. And here we are once again. I want to say this. I want to say maybe favorite reviewer called this Chekhov's needlepoint, which is hilarious. Oh, my God. Katie on Goodreads, we love the work (laughs) that you do. We see very early on in this story that Caroline is like very deep at work on a certain embroidery project and that she's very invested in it. And spoiler, like that's part of how she helps her father, like we hope, plan an escape. We don't get that closure in this book. I will be real with you. Like I read that section three times. I have no idea how Caroline's embroidery work was actually telling him anything, but I'm happy he got it. I was very confused because so basically she was embroidering him a map or like already Lake Ontario is a gift to be a fire screen that gets set up in book one. And then she's like, okay, but here's my pivot. I'm going to put X's over the homes that were are no longer friendly to Americans. And then dad will know that he shouldn't stop there when he escapes. There are so many details missing in that approach. Cause basically we get, we find out, I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but very early on in this book, her cousin, who I thought was her brother last week or last two weeks, he just like appears from nowhere. And he's like, Hey guys got let out of prison was dropped on some shore. I walked here, took me this long, whatever. I know that you guys are struggling. Like I see that you need help around here. I will be immediately joining the Navy and will not be here for very long. So don't get attached. But he tells them like, yeah. And so then like, you know, they're keeping him because dad's a shipbuilder. So they don't want him to do it for the U S. Okay, fine. That makes sense. Long story short, later in the book, and we'll go back to things that have happened in the beginning in a second her uncle is like, oh yeah. So, you know, this family and that family on the shore, they're no longer friendly to the Americans, which that combined with knowledge that 
Oliver has given them that basically when you get transferred prisoners or transferred, there's a moment when you can run into the woods, question mark. And it's like, so Caroline hears this and is like, aha, pulling together this information. I'm going to put the X's on the map and I'm going to hold it on my knee, hold it against my knee and aggressively just point to it while I tell my dad a story about something unrelated. And he will understand from all of this that both he's going to be transferred to Halifax. There will be a moment when he can run into the woods. When he does that, he should come down Lake Ontario, but avoid the houses with X's. To me, like, okay, that's the plan. To me, if I if somebody was aggressively like X on a map, I would see that as the destination. Yes. Yes. Right? So that is the subtext, right, that we are supposed to be getting, which I found a bit hard to follow just because of who I am, right? Like, I'm not Pablo. I'm not being held at Point Frederick. She's telling a story that is mystifying about a raccoon. It's insane that she thought that would not like raise flags distract us so on the textual level we're getting her telling this like very compelling and very bizarre story about a raccoon nibbling on soap and then he's supposed to take this like i don't know if she deserves a pulitzer or like some kind of i I don't know i do want to say like something is going on with oliver's legal team to this day because oliver doesn't have this is why you didn't know him He doesn't have a portrait in the front of the book. Seth, who literally delivers the mail and is like, don't get attached. I might be here next week. I might might not. not. There's there's no way of saying. We have Mr. Tate, who is part of the staff on the shipyard. We have Lydia, who's a cousin and a friend. We have Rhonda. Don't worry, we're getting to Rhonda, who feels ahistorically named. Aaron and Martha, who are Oliver's relatives. Where is Oliver? Also, is he a stand-in for Oliver Hazard Perry? I don't know. I kind of wish that that was the case. I mean, yeah, it is is a bit stunning. I don't really know what's going on with that, but I do feel like he was like, I can't be a party to what happens in this book. Like, I brought her the information about running away into the (laughs) woods. She took it to a raccoon eating soap place. I don't really know if I can support that. So here's here's where we find Caroline at the beginning. She, her mother, and her grandmother are holding it down. They've been through a really tough summer, and we're situated right away in the fact that it's autumn and that winter is coming, and that's a phrase they actually use. And the thing that I really like about Caroline and where I feel like she has some serious Virgo energy is she processes things through her stomach area. Hear me out. Caroline has this moment where she's exasperated and the line is, the war might last for years and she's getting very nervous. And then we get this line that she feels as heavy as an anchor, like she feels this sinking feeling. Four pages later, Caroline felt a sinking sensation in her chest. Four pages after that, her stomach did a nervous flip-flop. Like this girl needs some Tums, like she needs some antacids. Oliver coming at back really bumps her out because she has this vision of her father and Oliver being together and then being saved and returning together. And when he comes back, I feel like there's this betrayal. And then immediately it's kind of like sitcom-y. Like there's a knock at the door and who's there? The Hathaways who are come in and basically are like, they go from like zero to 10 for me where this felt like truly from nowhere they arrive at the door. I'm trying to find it. Major Humphreys. They join us on page 19. Thank you. 
like we've just had like another stomach flip flop and then knock knock and also they say so they come in and they're like um i'm mrs hathaway these are my daughters the little one is amelia and this is Rhonda. let's drop on this for a second Rhonda in 1812 i mean is this from like a help me Rhonda place is this author a Beach Boy fan? And this is like the Easter egg that she gave herself in the series that she was like, I'm working in a reference to Rhonda if it kills me. Yeah, Rhonda was a shock. The other thing about Rhonda is, again, these stories, honestly, to me, feel very similar to Molly's where there is a war on, dad is missing, and new people and specifically a kind of like built-in friend are dropped into the narrative. And people are surprised when the young girl protagonist doesn't immediately want new people in her life also it's like it's impossible to imagine the scene or like to bring yourself to the moment before they knock on the door for the hathaways where it's like the dad has sent mrs hathaway and the daughters out literally going door to door to find lodging how many places had they gone before and what excuses were they given where people were like uh you know you could sleep on my floor I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, basically this woman gets here and she is in a desperate space before they can even answer like yes or no. She basically just says like, we don't need a lot of space. She's like, um, even a small space would be welcome. Thank you. How are you supposed to say no to this? I mean, not saying they should, but like, and Caroline is an only child. This is a big adjustment. Yeah. And the fact that you know, thinking back to the grandmother's experience during the revolution, Serena Zabin's book, um, which is a family history of the Boston massacre, does a really good job of talking about the up close and personal relationships that people had with soldiers, particularly British soldiers in Boston. And I kept thinking about that in this moment. Part of why Rhonda and the Hathaways are on the road all the time is their father is an important person in the military. And so they're kind of used to this, but it kind of seems like as his children have gotten older, he's checked out even more and it's like no you're truly on your own to find lodging to be fair though too like they're willing to pay and they're willing to also do chores around the house and i feel like this is exactly what mom has been looking for yeah this is like the airbnb solution that mom was probably up you know like praying for every night and grandma certainly was praying for most nights i'm guessing but I think this is a really good scene, too, because it it allows clothing to tell a story in ways that words can't. So on the bottom of page 20, we see Caroline's eyes widened as Rhonda removed her cloak and bonnet. Her flowing, high-waisted green gown was trimmed with lace the color of eggshells. She looked elegant. Caroline glanced from Mama's sturdy work dress to her own skirt, which was splattered with mud from the garden. Had Rhonda worn that fine dress for long days of rough travel? So it's like they these two have not even had a convo yet. And already Caroline's basically trying to read Rhonda, if you will. And it's an interesting moment because I think the first book sets us up to think Caroline is actually a person of privilege in her town and her community. And her father certainly is respected and, and a person of privilege. We've seen the material culture of her room and her life, the rug, like never forget the cannonball rug. But I liked that moment, that juxtaposition. 
I also like that Caroline is curious about other people's skills in a way that feels authentically childish throughout this whole book because Mm -hmm. later in her birthday scene, someone will offer to her as a gift to teach her how to make something. And even much earlier when she and Rhonda are first kind of like getting to know each other, she's kind of thinking aloud, Rhonda knew how to make lace. Like she's actually very intrigued by this. And I really appreciated in the first few chapters all the different drops of things that her mother and grandmother were doing that really ran the gamut from basic food preservation for winter to her mother just like really adeptly running the shipyard. And I think this book like maybe like better than than most we've read has just really subtly given us a sense that like as as you said before it's a world of women just kind of running all these enterprises and her mother for all intents and purposes is in that kind of third space of being a a, a widow of sorts and it doesn't feel clunky, right? Like we're just learning about all these different types of skills that they have taken on. And let's be honest, like Caroline still looks amazing. Caroline does still look amazing. Every illustration of Caroline, it's like <laughs> she is camera ready, like a hundred and every woman in this book. I'm like, how are you all so beautiful in these conditions? Someone explain this to me. Yeah, the people who did these illustrations, it's a husband and wife team, the Paps, um, and they're from the Midwest. And they honestly, I think like, you know, in ways that we've enjoyed other kind of illustrations, they are so beautiful and feel so based on kind of the way the way people really look like they feel very realistic without being like overly you know, like cut and paste, like, like some of the later covers for Dear America, like they are just cartoonified people. This feels like a good illustration. Yeah, I think they're really beautiful. I also like how the book begins by comparing the approaching winter as itself a a war or something, using martial language to understand the environment. And I think that that's something that's really grounding of if you want to transport us back in time, of course, we can never fully appreciate what 1812 felt like in Lake Ontario. But I think the primalness of like how much the oncome of, of winter would affect your ability to survive it and how threatening that would really feel to you. Like if I can't get the crop, the food in from the garden and everything else. Like, that's a very real fear to her, even as she's like nine years old and is like, "Ah, I don't want to keep carrying pumpkins into the basement. Like, I'm sore. And then grandma hits her with an anecdote about the revolution. And she's like, "Okay, never mind. Sorry, grandma. Yes. I do also love that she's having this dilemma that kind of like lingers throughout the book, which is that she has two treats her grandma makes that she really loves. And I do feel like in a kind of classic Libra fashion, she refuses to commit to which one she wants. And then when her birthday rolls around, she's like extremely delighted that her grandmother also refused to pick and just makes her both. That's like, that was such a beautiful moment. And it's such a grandma move to be like, you can have whatever you want. Like, yes, we're in the (laughs) middle of a war. Your dad's in prison, like whatever, but you will get both treats for your birthday. That was really sweet. I really liked that. We've also seen that with pretty much every American girl where it doesn't really matter what else is happening. Like there could be super strict rationing. There could be cannonballs coming through. It's like, but what 
what is going to come down on the table for my birthday? I mean, truly nobody knows. I mean, it's it's wild. But the food in this book is really interesting, too, because you get really clear descriptions of what some of the meals are. And I can't remember the last time we had a description of an entire meal, possibly Molly. Um, but on page nine, we get that dinner one night is or an afternoon was fresh biscuits, baked beans, potatoes fried with chopped onions. Would you eat that? Yes or no? Would I eat the biscuits? Yeah. Would I eat the potatoes? I'm kind of like half and half. Like I'll take the carbon starch and the rest I won't. I think what I feel coming through these books a lot is the fact that the person who wrote them, as we mentioned last time, used to be a first person interpreter, used to work in living history and is used to doing fact checking. So Everything feels really textured and detailed, but I don't get a sense when I'm reading it as you're saying that it's just being thrown out there, right? Like people have hobbies that feel kind of real to them. And we hear over and over that Caroline really likes to do her stitching. And she says like, it's something that she does when she needs to calm down. Page 25, when I'm worried, it helps. And this is of course like kind of setting, setting down tracks for later events that are going to happen. But I kind of appreciate that there's like certain conventional things that Caroline likes and then those overtures to things that would be kind of beyond her life, you know, wanting to be a captain. But it feels like an appropriately like age-based tension, right? Like, oh, maybe I could run a ship. And then it's like, Caroline, you literally need to push the car of turn. Like, it's dinner. You have to dig up the potatoes before the frost comes in. I also love that grandma does like what seems like an ahistorical thing grandparents do or elderly people where she's like, my bones are telling me the frost is coming soon. Yes. Yeah. Like my grandmother would do that and predict rain with her bones. She was like, my arthritis is really flaring up. It's going to rain this afternoon. I hope you don't <laughs> have plans. And then of course, like it wouldn't rain and she would feel really angry at no one in particular. Yeah rough stuff. I also like too, that there's that kind of like nonverbal communication we get. So Caroline's mom comes home and sees Oliver and he updates her like, Hey, things are bad. Yes, I'm here. They're going to move prisoners to Halifax. And so Caroline's mom's like, my time is now like, gotta go, gotta get into this little boat and take myself to the prison to plead my husband's case. And normally Caroline is like, grandma doesn't want me to leave or like somebody has to stay with grandma. But now we have these, you know, renters in the mix and she looks at grandma and in her eyes, she's like, I know grandma was telling me that I should volunteer to go. Yeah. And this scene ends with Caroline kind of just casually saying that she'd be willing to do it. Um, Please let me come with you. And her mom takes like a single beat and she's like, very well, you may come. And we like pretty much are immediately making plans and have a beautiful illustration of them actually setting out. I, I did kind of, it really did make me wonder like what what was a realistic realistic expectation of like breaking your husband out of this kind of situation? And I was surprised to learn that there was about 6,000 people who were impressed during this war. So 6,000 or so people who were in her father's situation and often just like not not necessarily like enough resources to actually sustain this in a lot of places. And considering that her other relatives seem to just show up, I guess this seems like an okay plan. You know, I mean, it does seem kind of like a wild flex, but at the same time, 
even not knowing those statistics, what else is she going to do? Like at this stage of the game, you kind of have to take a big swing because you kind of have nothing else left to lose at this point. And I also think it's worth like keeping in mind that the infrastructure in this time is really falling down, even in the British Empire. So even though he's a British prisoner. So in those kind of systems, sometimes if you could insert yourself and make a personal appeal, it really is the decision of like one person. Like whoever you can get yourself in front of, sometimes that can make the difference. So there's a part of me that's like, this is insane. And then there's another part of me that's like, but major (laughs) things have happened. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, what really kind of changes this for them is by the time that they get to Point Frederick, they're kind of saying to the mother and daughter, like, listen, we've seen it all. We've seen messages in the treats. We've (laughs) we've seen basically every kind of strategy like, you know, to quote Justin Bieber, like, we've seen what we needed to see. Like, we don't need to proceed any further. And Caroline really does have this very brilliant idea that her stitching is going to be the way around this. And I truly was just so glad that I was not her father because I really was trying to think back to, like, her actual age, which is nine And just like having a nine-year-old tell you a story about anything and then imagining that nine-year-old also being skilled at stitching and having the stitching communicate something. And she is just a far better person than I am. I mean, I don't know if that's the issue. I think it's more just like there is some kind of mind meld in the same way that she looks at grandma and is like, grandma is telling me non-verbally to go with mom. There's something that goes on with her where she's also like, okay, so mom's not going to be able to go in to see dad. All right. I have my embroidery where I've marked the houses where he should not stop. Should he know that he's about to be transferred and that he should run away into the woods when he's like about to be boarded to go to Halifax? You know, so she kind of, you almost feel like there's like telepathic communication at play because otherwise this is completely bonkers for her to be like, yeah, story about a raccoon, dad. As I like avert your eyes to my knee over which I've draped an embroidery that is very confusing. She should have stitched. Admittedly, it's more stitches like dad, please don't go to these spots on the map. That's a long needle point. But I'm just saying, if you have two X's on a map, I would be like, should I stop there? Yeah. So this is this is exactly what it says with one shaking finger. So first of all, this this is not that big. She could have shook in the wrong direction. Caroline pointed at the new black X she'd stitched where the Baxter family lived an X to signal. Do not go here. It's not safe. Like, but then when is there a, single, a key? Is there a key no. on this map? Without a single beat, it's like dot, dot, dot. And the next time Mrs. Shaw looked out her window, she saw a raccoon. And, like, this is truly how this is. It's so much. Like, honestly, like, kudos to the author for dreaming this up from nowhere. But at the same time, you're like, is there a nine-year-old alive who could do any of this at any time in history? Like, I'll throw anyone into the mix. Like, Shirley Temple. I don't know. Like, any nine-year-old. So, cut to her summarizing. So, now Seth jokes that we've got the cleanest raccoons in New York. And that's when, like, finally the guard cuts her off because he's also distracted by oxen drama outside. And I can just picture conversations I've had with younger people or imagining myself, like, 
Like maybe I was telling stories that had hidden layers and meta drama, but I wasn't. And it's also just makes me think of all those studies that say most people say that they are multitaskers, but studies show that very few people actually are. And I was like, I hate to say this, but I don't think Caroline is. No. I mean, no, although she she can carry a good conversation like she chats with Rhonda, right? Her and Rhonda kind of have some issues, but they come through it like very quick. OK. And like, yeah, but let's get into that for a second. So before we hop in the skiff and we head off to do what I'll call like the most, you know, insane performance art or one woman show that these eyes have seen in an American Girl book in some time. Um, still this confused. Is- I'm sorry, this is not the worst raccoon situation we have them no, pulled into. Not and a, I know you know that. It's not the definitely not the worst raccoon situation, but definitely like the most, I don't even know what off the wall, like abstract performance piece. Like if I was the dad, I'd be like, I don't, I can't follow this. I don't know. But, Can I say this? What? So like it's my dream now. Like as I was reading this, like let's be real. Like someone embroidered us. Like my mind is already dreaming of like the things that this story will inspire people to do. Like not me because I don't have this skill, but to create things. Like to create things. It's like this. Honestly, like is designed for like millennial crafty people to run with. I agree. We should have a Caroline craft show. Like everyone like, out there, if yes. you're into it with me as a crafty kind of person, like let's, you know, like let's make some Caroline stuff. Let's see what we all come up with. That would be very fun, actually. Um, I'll dress like Caroline. Okay. We'll accept that. I feel like you're going to do that no matter if the craft show happens or not. And we support that. But yeah, I mean, this is some of the most bonkers stuff I've ever seen. There's also a fight that we skipped over, but I want to return to where before when Caroline and her mom are going to leave to go in this little boat to try to go up to talk the dad out of prison in Kingston, they're at the shipyard and mom is like checking in on something before they leave. I'm trying to find the page where this happens. Okay. And Rhonda like and her family walk down to the shipyard to kind of see them off, which is sort of weird, but like whatever. And basically, Rhonda starts to kind of flex on Caroline perceives it as her flexing on her about how pedestrian Sackett's Harbor is as a town and all of this other stuff. And she says, like this, Caroline's showing her on says this world leads to the marketplace and the harbor. And she points around. Rhonda replies, it would be hard to get lost in such a tiny village. And Caroline's like, ah, like she's making fun of this place, like my home. But where things get really crazy is on da, 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 page 28 or 29. So Mr. Tate's there. He's a very lovable, sweet man. And he's basically like, I already know what I'm going to get you for your birthday, girl. And this is on 30. So he leaves. And Caroline's like, wow, Mr. Tate knows what mom and I are about to try to do. Like he's, she's picking up on that and processing it. And Rhonda enters the fray and says, I heard Mr. Tate say he's coming to your birthday dinner. He must know your family well. Caroline turned around. Mr. Tate started working for for Papa before I was born. He looks out for mama and me. How nice that you have someone to take your father's place, Rhonda said. And this like sends Caroline to another level where they like actually have a fight. So for a moment, Caroline could hardly breathe. Why? No, it's not like that at all. What is it like? What does Caroline think she's implying? I think honestly, like what Rhonda is responding to is the strength of the community that's around 
Caroline, but it's her birthday month and she doesn't have the person she wants the most. No, but I guess that is what's going on. But when oh. Caroline says, <laughs> why no? How nice of you have someone to take your father's place, Rhonda said for a moment. Oh, Caroline like Tate and the mom? Breathe. Yeah. Why no? It's oh. not like that at all. I think Caroline's basically like, did you just imply Mr. Tate is going to be my new dad? Or like he's standing in. Like, while dad's away, Mr. Tate stands in as my dad. Well, did you see the pineapple on the front of their house? No, I'm joking, but... I just had to tell my mom what that meant because I found it out on TikTok. And she was like, that's wrong. It's a maritime symbol. It means welcome for people (laughs) to come. And I was like, it sure does mean that, but like different kinds. And she's like, ah, no, Mimi, no. We were like having breakfast. It was inappropriate or so I was told so I had to move on from that but I was like this is an interesting scene though where I truly I read it and I was like Rhonda just means that this town is very supportive of Caroline and her family but Caroline's response was like to me it was like this is a person who's under extreme stress and basically someone says something that's not even close to sideways to her and she's like how dare you imply that Mr. Tate's replacing my dad well, they they make up, by the way, this is the longest American Girl book we've ever read. Page 70. They have a conversation. They're doing each other's hair. And Rhonda kind of comes clean and she's like, listen, I don't think any of his, meaning her father's army friends, would look out for us the way Mr. Tate looks out for you and your mother. And then Caroline kind of gets it and feels bad. And they're doing the hair and they're in like great outfits. And she kind of like catches herself in the mirror and she says, oh, I almost don't recognize myself. I look like a young lady. Like there's something very um, like I am enjoying Caroline so much. Like honestly, like going back through Molly was existential and challenging. Caroline is just such a likable character. I am so shocked she isn't a bigger thing in the AG world. Yeah, I'm really surprised at that as well. And I don't really know what that's about. Like, I don't know if it's because I don't think nine-year-olds really care about events in American history. Like, I don't think people pick up Molly because they're like, it's World War II, like not at this stage. I think so it's not fair to say, well, Caroline's associated with the War of 1812, so that's hard for her. I don't think it's that. Her clothes are beautiful. I truly don't get it. I do think parents and grandparents, right, might be drawn to, like, certain moments. I also think the reality is, like, there just was never within the brand a huge push to make her as big of a thing, right? She is mostly only out 2012 to 2015, which is, like, a pretty limited window. Like, those were our graduate school years, and we were really, like, we were trying to run away from the War of 1812 ourselves. So I understand. But I also kind of wonder a little bit at the choice to write about a father being away during an unpopular war at the same time that that is happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've talked about this with other characters where it's like there are people living that. And again, not that people are reading that much into it the first time they pick up the story. But I think there's actually a lot of layers to this and it's it's not going to have the same shelf appeal as like, oh, here's a cute girl living through World War II who wears a sparkly Americana outfit. Yeah, and I think to your point, it makes more sense than that spoiler alert, the dad does not arrive home at her birthday party. So she goes to the prison. She has a very confusing one woman show. 
that she hopes will be successful. They return home. Life doesn't return to normal, but it's this new normal. And then she has her birthday party, which is a fun night, but dad doesn't come through the door and there's disappointment there. And I kind of think in light of like your point about this coming out during an unpopular war, in a sense, this would be a beautiful gift as a book to give to a child of a service member because they're not going to get that fantasy of reunion whenever they want it. So in a sense, giving a child a book where their parent who's serving in a war zone just magically reappears at the moment of need, which is seemingly all the time. Um, I think it's realistic, but in a way that might be comforting, like this isn't something that you felt alone. And in fact, like children have felt that in different historical periods too. Yeah, I really was like, that was probably the biggest surprise for me. And I had a sense he wasn't coming back because I just kind of knew what the next few stories were about. But I think where the book does give us some sort of resolution is with her issues with Rhonda. It gives us some sense that like there's hope with the father. And I think what was cool is we stayed somewhat within her Sackett's Harbor world, but we also got a sense of what was happening with a war that I think probably less than 1% of people in the U.S. today could like literally say anything about. Like, mm-hmm. I think this book is very elegant in the way that it gives us a sense of like, so here's what's actually happening to people who are getting caught up in this war. And the relative named Aaron uh, makes a point of speaking to Caroline and her mother and saying like, I never wanted this. And I think what was really cool about that encounter and other aspects of this, particularly the guy who's supposed to be watching Caroline's father and is like, there's oxen drama and I like this guy and I don't really care that his daughter is here and like doing whatever she's doing with the raccoon story. There's a really smart um, aspect of humanity to all of these characters. And that was actually pointed out um, again in some of the reviews that I read where people said, we don't get these kind of like evil British soldiers. We get these people who are kind of like stuck monitoring a fort or stuck staying in a fort. And there's this sense that like, not that they aren't invested, but these are just people, right? Like they're people in compromised situations. Um, Again, our reviewer Katie said, um, we're primed to see the British soldiers as bad guys, but they're signs of humanity. The commander relents and gives Caroline time with her father because he misses his own daughters. And I think that's like spot on. Yeah, I think the humanity of this book was probably my favorite piece of it. Just the sense of how localized and grounded the issues of the war were for each individual in it. So for the prisoner, the prison guard guarding Papa for like, who basically is like, not like this is a paycheck, but at the same time, his loyalty isn't like, of course, I'm with Great Britain. He understands kind of the messiness that happens on the ground, as do so many other people. And their only incentive for being involved is not this blind patriotism, but literally like, I can't sell goods on the lake if they're if we aren't allowed to, you know, be out here without threat of British attack because of this war that we didn't even know was going on going on. So I think kind of like pointing to the fact that for people it is really just their own primary concerns and motivations that make the war real for them, as opposed to war now, which feels very distant. You know, after 9-11, which we just celebrated a commemoration of, people had a slogan of like, some of us went to war and some of us went shopping, which has, you know, obviously like been critiqued on a deeper level since then. But I think there is some truth to that, that you can live your life and not have any relationship to whatever wars we're fighting at any particular time. 
I think what's striking too about Caroline's lifetime, I was looking up, you know, what's happening between 1802 when she's born and when she's having this birthday in October of 1812. The reality is there's also a ton of wars that have this kind of amorphous or indirect effect on the young United States, basically her entire childhood, like looking at specifically things that happen in 1802, just thinking about kind of like there is the rise of Napoleon. It's the same year um, that Toussaint Overture is actually like evicted from Haiti. Like there's all these different things that are happening. Also, she is born a few months after Lydia Maria Child. Like she's really part of this kind of like first generation of Americans, notably right after Martha Washington dies. Wow. R.I.P. I'm not saying there's a connection, but I do think like, you know, good for this author for saying like springtime babies. I think not. Libras are entering the scene. I'm into it. I also really love that the craft of it, as you've noted, and we've called for the craft fair. I think the fact that she brings embroidery with her initially just to manage her own stress and her mother actually responds and says like, good idea. I'm going to bring my knitting. That spoke to me so much as a person who makes things to deal with stress or just to take myself out of stuff. I feel like that speaks really to right now, like to 2021. Like if you find yourself in a stressful situation, like, yes, you should be pragmatically trying to get through it, but also doing things to be kind to yourself. You never know when your craft is going to help someone break out of prison. And I just want to remind people of that. But I would also recommend, I know I've recommended this book before, but it's called Men by Making. And if you want to try your hand at embroidery yourself with no experience, which I also have very little, that's a book that um, these Irish authors put out where they interview different craftspeople and different specialties, and they teach you how to do an introductory project, but they also write really beautifully about what making things with an eye not to being super skilled, but just the act of making something can do for you, especially in stressful times, which I think these definitely count. So just throwing that out there, you could get that book, get into it, make something for our Caroline Craft Show. Very excited for that now. Yeah. And if you're interested in kind of how the world of making um, the looking back section, which is the peak into the past, has this line that, you know, most people worked with their hands in this time period. And, and I think that's a shrewd way of adding a pretty important layer of nuance to the fact that like the industrial revolution is happening. It's ongoing during this same period, but also in a lot of ways is quite distant, not unlike the war to how people are actually living in a place like Sackett's Harbor. And uh, Christine Stansel's book, City of Women, Sex and Class in New York, 1789 to 1860, really covers this period um, in a very smart way. I'm sure we've recommended this book to people before, but particularly with thinking about how clothing, as an example, changes between kind of the start of Caroline's life to the time when she's older. I would recommend that. Also going to post a link. I found a great exhibit online about kind of what she would have read coming of age in this time period. What kinds of books would have been really part of her lifetime um, by Library of Congress. They weren't thinking of Caroline specifically, but if they had been, it's like right on the nose. That's really interesting. Speaking of things she would have read or not, I was kind of wondering reading this book, is this a book where we really feel the absence of religion? So if there's a crisis in the family and a crisis in terms of wartime, is this a moment when the family would be turning to religion at some point to make meaning of this? Or, you know, is that something that 
would be in the book, but was not because of just the considerations of the brand, not wanting to limit anything. Um, we had references in Samantha's books to her going to church because we'll remember iconically she, um, I think, put all of what's his name's pennies into the collection plate. Um, but I don't know. I was thinking about that in this book. Well, Addie's world is so faith-based, right? Yeah. When Addie becomes a free person. And Connie Porter did a lot of research specifically into like the churches that Addie would have been going into and that as part of her network to freedom. It's very striking to me. And if people have other readings they want to recommend on this, please go ahead. But I do think in certain maritime communities or port cities, not that money or commerce formed the kind of shared culture, but I think it does in a way that is far more prominent in, say, a rural context or a congregational village that was set up, right? Think of New Haven, right? Think of the culture that is set up around Yale as a place to train a certain kind of minister. What we know about people in this community relates to their job, like it's what they do to keep this maritime culture and this maritime commerce going. And that is kind of like the network and the system that's at play for her. It's an interesting choice to make faith not a part of it. But I don't know that there was ever a big religious component to this war either. I read something. I don't know if people can write in about this, but um, that basically there was some contest in religion or conflict over whether they could support war itself, different sects, but also some reticence to go against the British when they were the last remaining hope of checking the Catholic power of the French. So, I mean, but I wonder, like, again, that's kind of, as we were saying before, like, I like how grounded this book is into like the actual real world concerns of these people that are real world stakes for them in the war. Is that a real world stake or is that more something like someone at the top of a religious hierarchy would be interested in those questions? But really in your day to day life, you're like, yeah, whatever. I don't really know. Like the threat of Catholicism isn't like a life or death issue for me at this time. Well, like there's no minister either providing a service, right? right like if, yeah. if you think of this as like a tremendous crisis, there are not ministers in her world who are providing counsel or any kind of tangible support. She's finding it through Mr. Tate. She's even finding it in the form of Rhonda, again, whose name like completely mystifies me. But apparently if it had another letter in it, it would be the Welsh version of Rhonda. So like, go okay. girl. Um, hmm. Okay. <laughs> so Rhonda is a historic name, but it is kind of fascinating. Like, and that's not a criticism to say that's missing. I think it's a far more realistic assessment of the way people have lived, um, particularly in places that don't seem to have been founded with a religious ideal in mind. Right. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of like Going back to your point of books she would have read growing up, like as she entered adulthood, she would have had access to way more cheaply printed books just because of technological advances. But there's a story of like the Bible, American Bible Society of like selling Bibles door to door where somebody goes to the door and they're like, we really want to sell you a Bible. Like, what's up? And what part of their sales tactic was to say, can I see your Bible? So if someone was trying to get rid of you and they'd be like, I have one. Thanks. I'm good. They'd be like, great, can I see it? And so this woman goes and gets her book and book pages were sealed together in this period. You'd have to almost take like a letter opener and, and uncut the pages. And she's like, has a sealed book that's never been open or uncut 
And it's a biography of George Washington. But basically, like, she reveals that she's not literate in that moment. But she's like, yeah, this is my Bible. Like, thanks. And maybe she thought of that book as her Bible, like, in a metaphorical sense. Like, I don't want to take that from her. But it's interesting that, you know, the degree of religious practice in different areas. I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. I don't know. It was like, it's a credit to this book that it made me curious about that. I'm not, it's not a criticism. It's just... No, and like because we didn't grow up with Caroline, like right, we're not attached to like a certain idea of Caroline and it sparks different questions for me. Like I went looking for the books of her lifetime because thinking of her in the next few years, one of the, you know, like more widely read things would be history of the expedition of Lewis and Clark, like right, mm-hmm. like kind of making a certain case for what the U.S. is going to be, and then um, the legend of Sleepy Hollow, which is something that comes up still, right? Ooh. Like every kind of spooky season. So I think that's kind of a cool connection too, right? Like that's something that possibly we could have in common with Caroline. She is probably hearing things about Lewis and Clark. That's something that's still taught in schools today. And then thinking of Washington Irving, not so far from where she lives. He's in Terrytown writing this now very famous story. Like, I don't know. I kind of feel like when she's like a young woman, like she's going to be on a ship reading that. That would be very cool. I would absolutely love that. Or if she has kids or grandkids, will they know like Santa Claus in the same way that like Washington Irving and others have influenced, you know, the imagination of that character, the further development of it Um, or that person? I know that in the next book, she goes ice skating. What? So, like, you know, maybe, like, maybe Caroline really is our dream girl. It's like she comes close to figure skating. She's crafty. We like to imagine that she's, you know, a reader of Washington Irving. I don't know. Exciting times coming. I mean, she's just like a gal about town. She's skating. She's trying to scam her dad out of prison with an embroidery. Like, she's doing it all. She's doing the most. She's doing her best. You know, we're proud of her. Actually, my cat just like meowed. I was muted, but he he meowed in in shared appreciation because while Caroline is stalling, she actually tells a story about Inkpot, her own cat. I thought Ray was just jealous that no one's ever tried to break him out using an embroidery piece. That's true. That's true. Or perhaps they have, but I didn't catch the raccoon with the the subtext. (laughs) With the soap. (laughs) Oh my God. I'll never understand. Wow. 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 Well, I can't wait to see where we're going with her. I'm, I'm very interested in this, that I think the books are very well done and I'm really enjoying it. So we hope if you're reading along that you're enjoying it too. Yeah. And craft with us, like it's 1812 or 2012 or, you know, 2021, I think whatever works for you, let's keep ruminating on that. And if you have other maritime suggestions, we'll keep growing our list. We're very happy to learn. And thank you to every ship girl or ship woman who reached out to us and shared super cool pictures and told us about your experiences. We're going to keep collecting those together as well. That's very exciting. Yeah. So if you want to craft with Caroline, please get at us. And we'll also be announcing too, that we're going to be doing next month on our Patreon, a watch along of the new season of the Babysitter's Club. So please, if you've not checked out our Patreon, check it out. We have a really cool Discord community where people chat about all kinds of things. There's now meetup groups regionally where people hang out across the country 
you can share any pop culture hot take you have. Allison and I hang out there all the time. We really love that community. We're going to be watching Babysitter's Club, which we both also love and doing a lot of other fun stuff. So please check that out if you've not done so, so far. And Allison, where would people find you if they want to share some crafting ideas to get you into it? Yeah, so I'm available at Allison Horrocks on Twitter and Instagram. Would love to connect with you there. And you can find us on our podcast Facebook page or at A Girls Pod on Twitter and American Girls Podcast on Instagram. We love when you send us TikToks or you tag us directly on that app. Mary, where should people find you? I mean, look, you can talk to me about almost anything at Mimi Mahoney on Instagram or at Mary Mahoney123 on Twitter. If you have crafting ideas that you want to pursue, I would love to hear them because I love to learn how to make different things. So I'm really excited about this idea and hopefully we'll have more info forthcoming about how to share your great work. All right, everyone. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you on our next episode. Mm-hmm.